And we're back with another episode of Replay Values, the podcast about how games can enrich your lives. My name's Michael. I'm Patrick. And we're uh, we're back with another episode of our Replay Retrospective on the Pokemon series. Uh, we, we had a couple uh, interruptions to our regularly scheduled programming uh, the past couple episodes, although I think they were both very worthwhile uh, tangents, one of which I guess not that far afield because it was just the new Pokemon game. Yeah, that that is very true. It, it just wasn't as much of a retrospective. Yes, it was a very cleverly titled current event retrospective of the current game. Um, but now we're back. We're doing Gen 4, uh, the uh, the fourth generation of games. These came out originally in 2007. I, I know that for sure, but feel free to fact check me if uh, just because we've had issues with discrepancies on release dates uh, in the past. Uh, but Pokemon's uh, Diamond and Pearl uh, that were on the uh, we're now we've now moved on to we're still in handheld territory. We're basic. That's it, Pokemon's basically a handheld series up through um, the most recent generation where it finally was on a kind of more hybrid system like the Switch. Um, but we're still on a handheld. We're on the Nintendo DS. Um, and this is the first on the DS, right? Yes, this is the first one on the DS. Um, and with us, we have a very special guest uh, is my brother, Rick. Rick, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course. You are um, even more than me. I feel like you are, are the real uh, Pokemon expert of the family. So <laughs> I, I, I needed to make sure I brought you on for this series at some point. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. I mean, yeah, it's been a, I've always been a fan of RPGs. And when I found out they were making one where you could pick your own party out of hundreds of different options, I never really had a chance. So <laughs> exactly. Glad to be here and talk about it. Yeah. Your, your little brother talked about how he, uh, chose based on cuteness. Rick, did you have a, uh, how you chose your characters, uh, sort of like mentality when you were first playing Pokemon? Yeah. What it, what appealed to you? Oh, I, I wanted to. I wanted things that looked cool, and that meant very different things when the first generation of games came out. That's true, um, but I did tell I did tell Pat that we um, we were fortunate in that the first generation of Pokemon was just red and blue, which were our favorite colors respectively. So it was very easy for us to yeah that well that was an easy choice. there was no debate of what on who was getting what version, so that worked out. Um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I I really want to dive into. There's a lot to talk about here with with the fourth generation of games. There there are a lot of kind of changes in terms of mechanics. Um, it also kind of represented, uh, from my understanding, something of a resurgence for the Pokemon franchise. Last time we talked about a generation, we talked about Generation Three, which Pat, you and I both skipped at the time it came out. Did you play Generation Four at all? Uh, okay, so what was Generation 4? That was uh, Diamond and Pearl, and then Platinum came out a couple years later. Um, and then technically, Heart Gold, Soul Silver. Yeah, Heart Gold, Soul Silver are technically part of that generation as well. Yeah, I had Heart Gold, so I did play Heart Gold. Yeah, even though that's that's Gen 2, it's it's running on the same engine and was on the same platform. So you you basically got the Gen 4 experience, at least in terms of like what, what gameplay mechanics were, were changed and, and stuff at, on a base level. Um, how about you, Rick? Did you, you, you got those games when they came out, right? Or, or pretty close to it? Yeah, I got them. I got them at launch. Um, I will say like everybody's got their favorite generations. I do think Gen 4 came. I probably said something about this before to you. I think Gen 4 came out at a good time for people who jumped out the, on the bandwagon early. I think Gen 3 was very good, but I was still at an age when those games came out that I was 
was trying to be a little subtle about the fact that I still played Pokemon games. And by the time Diamond and Pearl came out, I was old enough that I just didn't care anymore. So I was I was all right. the way in. You were like, I'm an adult. I'll play whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, I'm an adult. I will adult the way I want to. And I had a friend who felt the same, already knew he was more interested in the one that I wasn't going to pick. So we got him at launch and just traded back and forth. Nice. Which one did you get? Uh, I got Pearl. Oh, nice. So what was the, was it just the same as other generations where it was just mostly Pokemon that were different between those two versions? Yeah, it was, that's the primary difference between the two. They, that was really the only difference in the old days. Um, it, generation three really started the whole, like, we're going to pay super attention to the mascot legendary on the box. And that's going to affect some yeah. of the writing in the story a little bit. So there was some of that, but there wasn't too much of a difference between them. Was uh, Diamond and Pearl, was that Groudon and Kyogre or? No, that was Gen 3. Oh, okay. That was Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah. Diamond and Pearl were uh, Dialga and Palkia. That's right. I was. That was, yes. Time and space. They <laughs> right. really kind of pigeonholed themselves into a corner with how powerful the legendaries were. Yeah. I, if, if Gen 3 represented like the legendaries kind of and the, and the overall stakes of the adventure kind of going up, Gen 4 is when I'd say it really kind of went off the rails in terms of just like how insane the stakes were in, in that game. I just to, for my own background, I, I played, I missed these games when I came out, although I had a DS, I guess I just wasn't bought back into Pokemon yet at the time. Mm. Um, but I uh, I eventually got Pokemon Platinum uh, when I had a 3DS. I wound up picking up a copy of it uh, and playing through it then. Uh, and I know, you know, for for people who don't know the the Pokemon games, typically they they always have like a special third version that comes out. Until recently, when they now they do more of a traditional DLC model. Um, but it was you know Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow, and then Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. And then, uh, you know, Emerald was the special one for the last generation. And this time it was platinum. Um, but they, I think they changed a fair amount with this one, even more so than Emerald, which already had some new story elements to it. Um, are you familiar with platinum, Rick? Yeah. The, tr the third game was always kind of just the same in the old ones. It was the same game again. Uh, there might be a few more Pokemon available. Um, I loved gen four, but one of the major issues that, that diamond and pearl had was the initial pokedexes were a little limited before you got to the post game right platinum did a lot to help that there was definitely a lot more available before in the earlier parts of the game uh the storyline was a little bit more involved up to and including there was a whole other area you went to before you finished like the main evil team mascot pokemon story that didn't exist in the original um yeah yeah i mean i i i'm very excited to eventually dive into what that storyline becomes in uh gen four but uh or in uh platinum in particular it's interesting to see how like especially i always think about like in this was an age before you could really like meaningfully download updates to games and so i feel like the the third special pokemon game was almost always kind of their chance to essentially do what now would be would be a patch of things where, or, or DLC or any of that stuff where they just want to improve on certain mechanics and, and make some gameplay changes and add things to the story and, and stuff like that. Well, you kind of had a little bit of a heads up. Um, they couldn't patch it, but those, the box Pokemon for the third games did already exist. Um, in gens three and four, especially you have 
if you played the first iteration, you'd have this moment in the post game where you just, you dive into this short little dungeon and there's this so obviously powerful and important thing at the end that you catch that they just don't talk about. And if you, if you know, you're just like, oh, well, this thing's going to turn up. Right. Like this seems important. And it's just sitting here. That's really funny. That is like a crazy thing, Pat. I, I think we talked about this before. Like the the as the legendaries got more intense, the the idea that you could basically just catch like God to some degree. Uh, I think did did Arceus get get introduced in or Arceus get introduced in Gen Four also? Yes, but they were they were event only, but they got mentioned at least a little bit in the storyline. And yeah, so it did go all literal the way up God, to, like, <laughs> the creator and God of all Pokemon. <laughs> And the universe, <laughs> yes, and the universe that sit that you could catch as a ten year old, and yeah, use. yeah, just like pull it out and beat up kids with bugs on uh, local routes, like uh, <laughs> exactly take their money. But I was just saying the the it, it was the funniest in the the Heart Gold Soul Silver remakes, which were a part of Gen Four, because those are some of the only Pokemon games still where the game gave you the option of having whoever's first in your party actually follow you around on the overworld. And I always kind of got a kick out of the fact that you could be walking around with the legendary god of creation and these bug catchers in the early routes are like, yeah, I got this. If I make contact with this guy, I'm thinking, yeah, my team of Weedles will take this guy on. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're walking around with literally the creator of the universe and they're like, yeah, Kakuna, Harden. It's like, okay, great. What if his uh, Kakuna so hard that God himself couldn't break it? What then? That's, that's what they were thinking. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh... <laughs> it's a uh, it's interesting the the dynamics never really made sense and and the the weird thing about these games was um i guess we should talk about the the evil team so there was a you know a, a, as we've established there in the first couple games team rocket the the pokemon mafia uh were the bad guys and then starting in gen 3 was when they started mixing up the, the evil team which they now have changed who the villain is in each game uh, but the evil team in Gen 4 is this team called Team Galactic. Uh, Rick uh, or Pat, how if you've looked at pictures of these guys or, or just seen them when you're playing the game, how would you describe Team Galactic? They were going for they were going for a certain vibe with the Galactic thing. They were trying to make them look a little space agey with like with their their outfits, and they have they tend to have like very severe like bowl cutty blue hair and that kind of thing. I don't know how well it worked it's it always felt kind of culty to me i feel like this was one of the more like full-on just really oh not quite religious cult because it was like space age stuff but they, they had a very cult vibe well the most interesting thing for me like if we're doing an, an overlook at the evil teams in general about team galactic is that they don't they don't know most of them really any of them what their leader actually wants he's he's kind of playing his real goal close to the chest and they know some of the details enough to be loyal to him and follow him. But his end game plan doesn't include any of them. And none of them are aware of that. Wait, that's very, uh, this feels very um, Heaven's Gate. Like, this feels very 90s cult drink the Kool-Aid where it's like, ugh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, honestly, if, if you, if it was possible to do that in a kid's game, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. What was, what was his like end game? What was he trying to do? He was basically trying to create his own world. Yeah, he wanted to like rewrite all of existence, essentially, in his image. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, that's like that that that's the thing. The culminate like you're you start off on your Pokemon adventure, you have your friendly rival, which in this game is basically this little boy with like ants in his pants who like can't sit still for a second named Barry. Um and you 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 start off helping the new the professor is it Professor Rowan in this one? Was that the name? Um yeah. looks like an old like frontiersman, but yeah, you help him um fill out the Pokedex like you always Yeah, it's Professor Rowan, he's the yeah, old yeah. one. Um and so it starts with you just going on your innocent little Pokemon adventure and then taking the gym challenge. And then it culminates with you like on the top of this like pillar on this mountain with the bad guy being like, I will now use this legendary Pokemon to reshape reality in my own image. And then if you're playing Pokemon Platinum, when he tries to do that, it he like triggers some sort of like universal failsafe that summons this other pokemon called giratina out of like the void that like then pulls him and you into like this place called the distortion realm that is like this crazy like almost like lovecraftian looking like uh like like place of like fucked up looking like fall flora and fauna and like you you wind up having to do some weird like puzzles to get through it and you're like walking on walls and ceilings and then you fight the bad the leader of team galactic giratina is basically the pokemon devil right kind of like, yeah yeah giratina is basically like the demiurge of pokemon <laughs> yeah they don't word it that way they word it like it's the one that lives on the backside of reality but yes for all intents and purposes <laughs> yeah the distortion realm looks like it could be hell also for for sure um and and the way it like a p has i would encourage you pat to to look at the uh, footage of the game from when it appears because it like they do like a weird effect where it's like this shadow that then like splatters out as it like expands it's like very kind of especially for a game with that graphical fidelity like kind of unsettling um and it's and then of course i threw my master ball at it and so now that pokemon was mine to command and i took it to the pokemon league yeah you just have the pokemon devil <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you save the universe, you have the Pokemon Devil in your pocket, and then you're like, well, I guess I'll finish the gym challenge. I was going to say, that was becoming a problem, and it reached its height in Gen 4, was the idea that the evil team wraps up around the time you get you collect, you collect your seventh gym badge. But you're not stopping a mafia anymore. You're saving the universe. Mm -hmm. and the, the idea that they're like, all right, well, I guess we'll just plant you back on this route you couldn't travel on before, and you get to go get your eighth badge now. They must have realized it, too, because this was the last time that they would wrap up the evil team at this point in the game. Yeah, I guess you're right, because then I feel like maybe Gen 6 kind of did a similar thing, but otherwise they they mostly they mostly kind of incorporated a lot more into like the end game or Gen 7 onwards kind of made the evil team a little bit more tangential to the overall story. Yeah, yeah, they may have tried it in Gen 6 again. Gen 6 was safe yes we'll talk about uh the last episode on this retrospective we're going to do is gen 5 just because i think gen 5 is so so interesting that it kind of it i don't want to i don't want to leave it for later but uh, gen 5 tries some stuff do you know pat do you know about about pokemon black and white at all oh yeah i played black and white i was back on by gen 5 yeah black and white's the one where it's like that's fair yeah that's uh that was uh that was the one where Peta was essentially the bad guy it was interesting to see them try that uh, but Gen 4, uh, yeah, what I really want to get on, just kind of in the spirit of of replay values and kind of talking about our memories of the game, because, you know, in terms of like, you know, Pat and I's recollection is is pretty loose in this case. And so, Rick, we, we brought you on. Um, you actually, I think, worked at GameStop uh, around the time that this came out. Is that right? Yeah, I, I worked there yeah. when it came out. I had like, I had the 
pre-order bonus like styluses with Diaga and Palkia. Um, nice. Can you tell us a little bit just about? Um, I, I would just be curious to hear kind of like if what working like the launch of a game like that was like, and if I don't know if there's any any experiences that you remember or or just things about even just working at GameStop. I'm just so curious. I've never done. I never did video game retail. They didn't. Well, I, I can't speak for what they do now, but at the time, and they didn't do it often, but for a big game like this, they would do a midnight release. Um, and I worked in like a little shopping plaza area and no kidding. We were at one end of it and like the Shaw's supermarket was at the other end and there would be a line pretty much stretching to the supermarket entrance because they knew we we had their pre-orders. They knew we had all the games in the back. It was generally just a matter of getting them wrung out. But yeah, it was it was always an event when a big game came. How did this compare to? I'm trying to think of other launches that were big around that time. Were you around when like Halo Three came out and stuff like that? I'm trying to think of big games in 2007. Halo Three was probably a little bit bigger and a little less crazy. And it's for the exact same reason. And that is that with a game like Halo 3, the people in line were the people picking up the game for themselves. Ah. There was a unusually high percentage of people coming at midnight to pick up Pokemon that knew nothing about it. Oh. So that always made it like a little parents? bit that's, Yeah, that's really funny. So it's like a lot of parents and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really funny. So they, they're just standing there waiting in line. They're walking in. They're, are they just like, oh, I guess I need these Pokemans. Like, yeah, they don't know. Their kid's obsessed, but it's a school night and the game. We don't start selling it until midnight. So they come. Wow. And like, yeah, you know, some of them aren't even that interested in being there, but some of them aren't They're They're fine, but they don't know anything about video games. Never mind Pokemon. So we have to field a bunch of weird questions or people like trying to be like, oh, you know, like this is normally my <laughs> they, thing. They have to, yeah. You're in a video game store. They have to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm much cooler than this uh, <laughs> video game store attendee. Uh, you can safely drive home feeling good that you qualified yourself to a teenager who works <laughs> in a video game store. Do, what's, do you have any like the craziest questions or do you have any specific memories of working there? I know I worked at Blockbuster and we had our fair share of stupid and crazy questions so i'm sure gamestop did just every now and then you'd get somebody who knows nothing about technology and they don't even understand what they're asking the one that stuck in my head the longest was and it i think it really only did because this ended up being a repeat interaction was somebody who wanted wireless internet cables wow and they called yeah they called and asked me and I just didn't really know how to field that because I wasn't allowed to make fun of them. <laughs> you um, you'd only knew to respond in mockery. And then they I came in. Yeah, I didn't. Well, yeah, I was 18. <laughs> that was really all I knew how to do to people like that. But I managed to swallow my idiot instincts and field that as diplomatically as I could. And then they came in the next day and did it again. And I, I don't remember exactly what was said because it was a long time ago, but I remember they worded it when they came in in such a way where they gave me just enough time to start feeling relief that I hadn't understood what they were talking about. And then they just worded it the exact same way again. And it oh, all came crashing down. It's just being tangentially 
like related to technology opens up the door for a lot of really wackadoo questions i'm sure yeah i say having worked at i mean pat you and i both worked at apple i feel like we we got plenty of that treatment oh yes absolutely yeah people coming in and asking about uh like if the internet was going to be in the computer kind of questions it's like ah what Mm. yep I don't think you know how the internet works. Um, maybe you should talk to your cable provider. Like, I've been wondering about this as we get older. Do you think, like, what is our version going to be of that? Or or what do we, because I feel like now we're, we're finally starting to get to a point where, you know, everyone's kind of some minimum level of tech savvy, at least. Like that same level of kind of cluelessness is less prevalent than it used to be. I was going to say, I like to think it's not going to get that bad because I feel like anybody in our generation knows enough to go looking for information. Right. But I mean, I, the problem is I'm also not there, so I don't know what's going to come that I'm going to be completely blindsided by other than that. It's something. I guess if the world really gets into like crypto and stuff like, and like NFTs, that's like, that's where my like understanding of things is starting to slip. I mean, the thing that I'll say to make you feel better about that is that it's, Sometimes it's just so much more criminally stupid than you think it could be that, like, that's why you're not getting it. <laughs> like, there's so many of those kinds of things where it's like, uh, yeah, NFTs aren't really taking off. And it's like, because they are basically a JPEG that has, like, unique code. Okay, cool. Well, I had Neopets, so I get that. It's dumb. Like, <laughs> I forgot you had Neopets. I did. I yeah, it's I you're right. It's it's I appreciate that Patrick that you're saying that it's not me that's dumb, it's the technology that's dumb. Yes, it's these kids, they're the dumb ones. They're the yeah, it's the kids that are wrong. Yeah, I I just I don't know that it's so funny to think back even at that time. And and you know, 2007, you know, that was we're now in year like fully into year 1 of like the Wii being so omnipresent and the DS too. The DS was hugely successful. And and I think that it kind of marked almost the end of that era of of not understanding technology or or being or even just being ashamed that you were at a video game store to buy a video game. Like you probably still see people like that now, but if anything, you're just like, why are you buying this in person and not digitally? Yeah, I don't think the demographic that goes through the doors is the same as it used to be. Right. So in terms of your experience playing poke uh generation four when you played diamond and pearl do you or you played pearl in your case do you have like what was your kind of defaults uh for a starter did you, did you know which type you were picking right out the gate or did you base it on the three that were available i always based it on the three of, that were available and i was not i was never shy about spoilers when it came to seeing what they would turn into to see if it was something i wanted that Gen 4 was the first generation where I feel like I had a heads up about that because I had found Pokemon-related websites that gave information, and this was still back when Japan got the games first. Right, yeah. we've a Part of, part of our problems with uh, naming release years in the past has been because I had completely forgotten mm-hmm. uh, about that divide. But yeah, we were still very much in in that space where it was coming out in japan before it was coming out here yeah since i googled it when you started talking about it yeah it did 2006 is when it released uh in japan and 2007 is when it released in america okay finally got it right okay (laughs) only took me only took me a few tries uh but i yeah i just i don't know why i had a stronger memory of 2007 being the release year for this one so yeah in the case of gen 4 um 
it was the water starter Piplup for me. Uh, both because that one's ended up being partially a steel type, which has hadn't been done before or since in a starter, which I thought was really interesting. And Gen 4 marked the beginning of them throwing a bunch of fire types at us that turned into part fighting, and they had done it in the previous generation. Yeah, so they'll I was kind do of it again next time. And they, they would do it. They would, it would turn out they weren't done. Yeah. I'm always convinced that uh, Blaziken in Gen 7 was originally supposed to be firefighting, and then they were like, we can't do this again. And so they changed it because he's literally like a pro wrestler. Well, all right. In, I, I will say, I will say in their defense, and I won't. I won't delve into competitive much, but they, I think they did, they did have a reason for it this time. Um, they always introduce new moves and things in the generations. Gen four, they introduced a hazard called stealth rocks. Oh yeah. Which worked like spikes where it damaged things when they came in. But the difference is stealth rocks took the rock type into account. So it would do more damage if things were weak to it and less if they were resistant to it. And the fire starter was the only starter that was weak to it. So I think they put the fighting type in there to cancel that out. I guess that makes sense. Cause I feel like I, I remember like a recent playthrough I did of uh Pokemon, like fire, red leaf green, where someone put out stealth rock and I switched to my Charizard and it got like decimated, but just by, just by entering the battle. And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, I think the typing might be taking effect here. Uh, that's exactly what that was. I just impaled my poor dragon on a bunch of rocks. <laughs> How do you feel like the starters in Gen 4 stack up? I feel like we've talked a lot about the 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 starters in each gen and obviously, you know, one is iconic because it was it's always the classic trio, but um a lot of people like Gen 4. Where do you where do you fall in terms of your starter Pokémon? I really like Gen 4 because the typings are interesting and that was always a big thing for me. Like re- repeat of firefighting aside, it is a good typing and they had water steel which is really unusual still and grass ground, which sounds like it would be common, but is not like, I'm actually kind of struggling to think of another one. Yeah, I am too. Actually, that was Torterra, uh, right? Yeah. I really liked Turtwig into Torterra. I thought that was a really cool Pokemon and it looks like an Ankylosaurus, which I, I really appreciated. So I, I, that was my favorite. Yeah. I guess I didn't, how many different Pokemon actually have like clear analogs to dinosaurs? I feel like it's actually not that many other than the fossil ones, right? The fossil ones, but those are like explicitly supposed to. And even then I don't remember a dinosaur that looked like Kabutops, but yeah, I I know what you mean. Although I feel like some that existed in some archeologists like fever dream. They just wanted to make a horseshoe crap. (laughs) They, um, (laughs) in this generation, like in the, in the more recent game, uh, Scarlet Violet, there is like a Spinosaurus evolutionary one. It's one of the drag. It's the ice dragon. I forget his name right now. Oh yeah. I've seen that one. Sword and shield even had a nod to, um, gen eight had a nod to, uh, like people messing up, Yes, finds with fossils and creating things that didn't really exist really? with their fossils, where you had to combine two of them and with a with an archaeologist, and they would give you their new Pokemon, and it was so obvious that it was wrong. Yeah, there's like Draco fish, and um, yeah, because they're the two Dracos, the two birds, which are the like Archaeopteryx ones or Archaeopteryx. Uh, they they very clearly don't mash up well. There was that was one of the ones that uh in the anime Ash just beat the like 
final four or whatever in that world uh and it was a big deal in the anime because they like retired ash but he had one of those weird like fuck up fossil pokemon in his party i saw interesting that makes sense that he would have like a a misfit toy essentially as uh, as part of his group that was always kind of ash's deal um Oh yeah, I forgot that like they retired Ash. Finally, the the dream of me in like '98 watching the first season of Pokemon finally came true. Where I was like, he finally won the Pokemon League. Yeah, it took him more years than he is years old to do <laughs> well, it. You know what? it. <laughs> yeah, perseverance is a, is a virtue that uh, we all should have to that same degree. Oh yeah, as of 2016, only Torterra is grass ground. So I don't know wow. if in the recent generations, but I actually yeah, looked that up. I thought that might be the case. Yeah, that's crazy. The other one I have a hard time thinking of that of a type combination that I really like. Actually, going back to Gen Six is uh, is um, I forget the name of the Pokemon, but the fox, like the fox wizard that you get uh, if you pick Delphox, oh, Delphox. yeah, the fire psychic. I, I don't know if there are a ton of those either, but that's I always like those rare combinations. I, I think Gen Four is probably my second favorite set of starters after Gen One. I feel like I can't deny Gen One's classic status but in terms of like interesting typing like gen 4 and also i i'm never going to be mad at a fire pokemon that's like a journey to the west reference and uh and yeah the the emperor the emperor of uh the sea there that that the penguin turns into and then yeah torterra who we talked about yeah like it's all i feel like everyone everyone has a really satisfying evolutionary cycle in that one yeah, and they came so close to doing what I've wanted them to do for a while now. They've never quite managed it, but I've always wanted them to set up like a reverse dual typing with the three starters where the secondary types are super effective in the other direction. Yeah, they did almost do That'd that. That'd be didn't really they? cool. That would be cool. Yeah, a couple of the generations have gotten really close, but they've never had it be perfect, I don't think. Yeah, because the second ones for the most recent one were dark. It was grass, dark, fire, ghost, and water fighting. Water fighting. <laughs> it was water fighting. Yeah. Oh, I was mixing up Quaxley's um, evolutions with the the one from Gen Eight, who turns into like that Slender Man, James Bond lizard. Yes. Oh yeah, that was the one I picked. Me too. Uh, which I was like fighting, but yeah, that makes. Oh yeah, that stupid water fighting bird that like fucked up my party towards the end of uh, <laughs> Scarlet. Uh, I had a I had a real hard time with that fight with the professor or with the headmaster uh, towards the end of that game, but uh, so that is always my memory of just like heel looping <laughs> endlessly uh, in that fight is is just tough. Um, what another thing that I think is interesting, and you you alluded to this too in terms of like your experience, Rick, with uh with like competitive play, but this game introduced a, a really big uh, gameplay shift, which was the um, what's called the physical special split. I feel like I, we need to touch on this because it was it had a, a major impact, and this carried over to Pat into your your playthrough of Heart Gold Soul Silver. They they made it like a permanent thing uh, with that game as well going forward. But the the idea of like moves not just having not just based on their typing whether they were physical or special moves, but based on like the move itself. Uh, I always liked that change. Yeah, that actually makes it kind of hard to go back for me anyway to go back and play the first three gens. Because that was something I always wanted them to do. so And that was one of the reasons why I think I got as excited as I did for these games when they were coming out. was because they were actually going to do it. Because there were always a bunch of Pokemon. Like, all right, I'll use Kingler as an example. He's been around from the beginning. 
he's got this incredible attack stat, but he's just a water type and all water moves were special attacks. And as soon as we got to Diamond and Pearl, like his signature move, Crabhammer, became a physical attack and he was suddenly a lot more dangerous. It's one of those things that always strikes me as as perplexing a little bit from a, like a gameplay design perspective of like, why did you design the Pokemon like this? Like why in those early games in particular, before you had design, unless they always knew it was like a thing they were always planning to do, but I doubt it. Like it's yeah, that that that's a good example of like a very counterintuitive way. Why why would you make this Pokemon of this type this thing? I understand it's a giant crab, but you should probably give it some stat that's related to the the water typing, otherwise no one's gonna want to use it. I always thought that was strange. I do think in the early generations, I don't think this has ever been explicitly stated, but I think there's evidence of it, that they didn't really originally plan for everybody to just build final teams out of whatever they wanted. Like, I think they explicitly had early game Pokemon and late game Pokemon. And they had types like that, too. Like, I think the original intention was types like the bug type to be something that you would drop when you got to stronger stuff later. And the dragon type, for example, was meant to be something you'd find late. And then I think they realized pretty quickly that people really wanted to just play with, with what they wanted to play. So they they backpedaled that pretty fast. That's really interesting, like, as a concept. Yeah, it makes sense, though, Pat, because, like, the you think about, especially in the first Pokemon game, and even, and honestly, even in, in as they went on, they kind of always did this. Like, you almost always fight the bug catchers first, and you usually find like a caterpillar of some variety, whether it's a caterpie or wormpole or, or whatever that is that you're like, and your fast evolution Pokemon uh, mm-hmm. that I feel like was meant to be like a tutorial of sorts of like how evolutions work because you, they would, they would always evolve faster than everyone else. Um, and you're right. Like would probably just peak really early. Also bug moves just weren't that good for a while. And so I feel like it, yeah, it, yeah, it, they were they were definitely meant to be cast aside. Although, didn't um, what was that, Pat? Were you saying something? Oh no, I was I was just laughing at the idea of casting these bugs aside. You're like, <laughs> yeah, all right, get, fucker, get like, here, bugs. thanks a lot, <laughs> thanks a lot for the second gym beat, but uh, I'm done with you. Like, leave you stuck to the flypaper of life, and uh, I'm moving on. Go on, get out. <laughs> yeah, you, Harry and the Hendersons, each <laughs> each one of them. If I had enough name, if I have enough space in my yeah, you're gonna leave them in a PC for the rest of their lives. Like yeah, all right. Call this PC my bug box. It's just full of, full of bugs. This hard this hard drive. <laughs> Although I think the didn't the uh, Elite Four, um, one of the Elite Four guys in Gen Four have bug Pokemon. Am I remember that correctly? Yeah, you're right. It's kind of ironic because the best stuff they gave the bug type came the next gen. What did they do next? They, I think Gen 5 is when they introduced Quiver Dance as a buffing move, which raises, it raises um, attack, special attack, and speed by one stage. Oh, oh wow. Okay. And yeah, most of the winged bugs tend to get it. And I think they introduced Sticky Web as a hazard in Gen 5 too, which lowers speed by one stage. Interesting. So... You you wound up finding more strategic routes to to go with those with those Pokemon in the later game versus what they were originally doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although I will say Gen Four did introduce a bunch of new bug offensive types that were meant to be attacks that were meant to be late game. 
So they were starting the process. It's easy to rag on Game Freak for so many like weird design decisions or oversights or things. But I have to imagine trying to do engage with the balancing on Pokemon, especially as you keep adding more each generation is just a nightmare. Like I just I just imagine someone with like a wall full of like that, um, like that. It's always sunny meme of Charlie, like tying like putting string between the things of just like yeah the their their dedicated balancer they just go always like go to a room and he's just like got stuff just like plastered up everywhere and he's like smoking cigarettes and like clearly hasn't slept in days and he's like all right like i you've made you added a hundred more pokemon i got them all figured out here we go and like just they just have to like decipher from whatever he scribbled down to to make the balancing work well, they ended up having to add the fairy type six generations in to try to balance. Yeah, things. which I love. I love that they added a, the, that new type. I, it it made one dragons were just too powerful, uh, and they kept adding new dragons. And then it also gave poison kind of a new lease on life because I never really liked using poison types before Gen six, and them being effective against fairy you just wound up. It, they they just had a whole new dimension added as well. Like it's it was a really smart choice. Um, but we don't have that in Gen Four. We had a uh, we had the physical special split, which was really interesting. We had uh, baby Pokemon. I think was not brand new in this, but I feel like they added a lot more baby Pokemon in this one. And like, did you ever engage in Pokemon breeding at all? That was a little bit too much of a rabbit hole for me. That was like you didn't. Most people didn't do that unless they fell into one of two very extreme categories. Either you're a competitive battler and you need the best stats possible, which um, Game Freak has done a lot over the generations to make easier so you don't have to do that anymore. Um, Or you were shiny hunting. Right. Can you explain to our listeners just uh, what a shiny Pokemon is in case they don't know? Yeah, so starting in Generation 2... They gave pretty much every Pokemon in the game a color variation called Shiny that was rare. And when I say rare, I think it's something like 1 in 4,000. Actually, probably a little bit rarer than that. So that, of course, spawned people who are obsessed with trying to catch as many of them as they can. Yeah. And sometimes the easiest way to do that, now that there's a breeding mechanic, is to just do that a lot. You mean it's faster to just breed them? Yeah, because sometimes you'll have a Pokemon where, like, in in the game, you're only ever going to find it at, like, a 1% or 2% wild encounter rate in one area. So you'd have to wade through a ton of other things. But you can breed it with a ditto, so you just it's much easier to get a lot of them quickly that way. I was just going to say, I saw a fantastic webcomic, yeah, where somebody talked about like, or it was a webcomic where it was a Lucario coming home with a ditto, and it was talk- referring to the ditto as dad. And then he was like, dad, I don't want to go to this family reunion. And then they show up, and it's all of these other types of Pokemon all calling <laughs> ditto dad. Like, it was very, uh, very funny. Yeah, don't... Um, if you're trying to avoid like ranking systems and stuff, don't don't look at breeding groups. No, I, I would just steer. Game Freak made some very weird decisions as far as which types were compatible for breeding, but they made Ditto able to breed with anything, so there was a reason to use Yeah, one. that really... My brain is going to some places thinking about the implications of that, but uh, I, I won't... Uh, I won't un- <laughs> to the PILF zone, it's okay. Ditto, Ditto is the top PILF. Didn't this generation introduce that bunny Pokemon that's like 
really sexualized sure in a way that's uncomfortable. Um, what is it? Low punny? Is that the one? Low punny? Yeah, that was always <laughs> I was like, all right, guys. I mean, we already we had just finished dealing with them introducing Gardevoir in the previous generation, yeah. <laughs> which like at least Gardevoir was like you know like elegant or whatever like you know meant to be like kind of majestic looking yeah yeah there were excuses you could make there was a lot less yeah, you could little, do little buddy was just like all right you, y'all have been holed up in this development studio for a little too long this was somebody with furry tendencies doing a metal gear solid cardboard box sneak into the developer's room when nobody was looking. <laughs> <laughs> amazing look i'm not we here at replay values are not here to uh kink shame anyone uh if, it's, <laughs> if that's what you're into by all means oh no no uh, judge is distracting in that game before we wrap up on on gen 4 i just want to i want to ask you a couple things one you um you played the remakes right so they another tradition of the pokemon series to some degree is the idea that they, they will eventually remake uh previous generations so we we alluded to um you know, Pat's experience in Gen 4 was technically Heart Gold and Soul Silver because that was a remake of Gen 2 done in the in the Gen 4 engine. Um, and previously we had Fire Red and Leaf Green, which were that the remakes in the Gen 3 engine. Um, they did eventually do a remake of Gen 4, uh, but I think it was a little different. Uh, you, you played those, right, Rick? I did. And yeah, actually, that just reminded me of a major feature of Gen 4 that I forgot to talk about. Um which is the Pokemon Underground. Oh, a thing I mashed the A button to skip through the tutorial on and then never returned to in the original yep. game. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would say in the original Gen 4, and this is actually a good opportunity to talk about how I felt about the remakes. Yeah, sure. The original Gen 4, the Pokemon Underground was, there were technically a lot of little things you could do. Like if you're one of the people who cared about having a secret base that you could decorate, that was how you did it. Um, I do think the Pokemon Underground in in the original Diamond and Pearl was mostly there to show off the DS technology um, because you played the main game on the top screen and you were in the underground on the bottom screen. And they actually timed it really well so that when you activated the underground, you saw your sprite fall off the bottom of the top screen into the bottom screen and kind of land on his feet there. I I mean, I guess it flies. It it ties into the existential horrors of the later parts of that game, but... (laughs) But um, yeah, there were there was like a currency you could and you could mine out of the walls to trade with people down there. But that was also how you got a lot of the fossils and things like that. Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were okay. It was pretty obvious that they were working really hard on the Pokemon Legends game and then on Scarlet and Violet. So they they had a lower bar that they were aiming for with this and they they shot they shopped it off to a different team so because of that it it feels smaller it kept the basic like top-down graphical style yeah it looks kind of just like a a 3d yeah exactly yeah it looked kind of like a 3d update of the of the kind of cutesy style from the original game that's basically what they were going for so anybody who's a big fan of that and was kind of hoping that they would go all in on the 3d style or maybe like introduce regional forms for Sinnoh was probably a little disappointed. Um, it is probably my favorite gen. So I, I won't lie and say that I wasn't hoping that they would do a little bit more than that. But one of the things that they did do that was very cool was the, the reconstruction of the underground, because in addition to the, the gimmicks and the mining in the wall from before they added biomes 
in like these big open caves down there where there were a lot of Pokemon that weren't available in the main game. Oh, okay. So that was a way of like, so you could go down to these different. Yeah. You, as you, prog- as you unlocked more of the map, you unlocked more of the underground and there were like fiery caves down there that had a bunch of fire types and that kind of thing that you could explore and get and add a lot more options to your team. That's cool. Cause I feel like Pokemon variety, especially in diamond and pearl was kind of an issue. Well, yeah, it definitely was. Um, realistically in the original diamond and pearl if you didn't pick the fire starter and you didn't want a rapidash you were before the elite four you were kind of out of luck on fire types yeah as someone who likes fire types that does not sound appealing to me yeah but i think what they did with the remake that was a good way to give the player more options without massively overhauling what was available in grass above they were able to kind of keep true to the original experience but if you wanted more options you have that's pretty cool Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, Before we kind of move on from Gen 4 totally, I just want to kind of touch on, I guess, you know, Rick, you know, we we like to, here at Replay Values, we like to to talk about, you know, the the kind of impact that that games have uh, on us and and not just not just in terms of what we remember, but in terms of uh, if there's anything we learned from the experiences of that. And, you know, Pat and I have now been talking Pokemon for several episodes, so I feel like uh, we've we've kind of said I, I'll I, I'll have actually a little more to say next time because Gen Five had a a specific impact uh, on me at that time. But the mm-hmm. um, but at, in terms of Gen Four, it was more just I was fully back on board on Pokemon and, and just revisiting it. Um, I guess is there anything that you feel like you can say either about Gen Four or just Pokemon specifically? Of you know, I I, I feel like what you kind of get out of the these games and and what how they maybe have impacted you in some way. Yeah, I think Gen 4, given the age I was at and the mechanics introduced, specifically the physical special split, Gen 4 is probably responsible for me being as competent. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to go as far as to say good because somebody will wash me immediately if I make any kind of claim like that. But like the idea that like I, I now was paying enough attention to the me- mechanics that I felt like I knew what I was doing beyond a casual pickup and play. And I think anybody who really got, who really liked Gen 4 and played it back in the day got to meet a surprisingly difficult challenge. The games, you don't really think of Pokemon games being hard and I don't think they were hard all the way through, but I think that that game still had the hardest champion. Yeah. We didn't even really talk about Cynthia uh that's the the champion of of gen four um actually a detail i really like uh to to double back on on the the story a little bit is that she actually is involved in the story yes yeah i think she was the first she wasn't the first champion to show up partway through the story but she was the first time where they tried pretty hard to incorporate her as somebody who's moving through it right it helped a little bit with the kind of dissonance of saving the world and or universe uh and then going back to the gym challenge because at least the the champion was also there with you even even though in the distortion realm she really stands back and is like you take on the leader of team galactic by yourself and then this big monster and i'm going to stand here and watch you essentially and not do anything but it, it at least at least kind of made some sense right like I guess I guess even Gen Two had Lance going into like bust up Team Rocket. It really was just Gen One where they weren't doing anything. They were their own thing. Yeah, they were just sitting, standing around waiting for the waiting for you to get to that final challenge. Um, 
but you always wonder what the like like what is your what's your role if you become pokemon champion or you're a member of the elite four like what does that mean outside of the fact that you are like servicing this challenge yeah that's not something they have ever addressed a ton i actually think it got to the point where in scarlet and violet they made champion a title that multiple people could have just to avoid that situation yeah which i liked in that game i liked that it was because it was also just bizarre that so many people could become champion seemingly without you know if a 10 year old can do it then presumably some of those grown adults once they stop carrying more than two pokemon could could do it too <laughs> yeah i mean cynthia's ace was like was a pokemon introduced in gen 4 called garchomp yes a dragon and ground type who i will just say competitively was almost immediately banned to the tier where you use legendaries oh wow because it was just so powerful it was very strong and it would almost certainly clean you up the first time you got there because you're not expecting it. There's a reason they actually, they knew it too. In Gen 5, they used Cynthia as a jump scare in the post game. <laughs> really? Yeah, there's a town you could only get to after you've beaten the Elite Four in Gen 5. And one of the houses, she's inside. And as soon as you walk in, it starts playing that piano tune from the fourth game when you're about to start the fight. And you give, you're given no indication that she's in the game at all. So when you first walk into the house, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, please don't just challenge someone who walked into your house. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I intruded. <laughs> you, you're so in, invested in, in like the – I know you don't, you're, you don't claim to be a true professional, but I feel like you've got, you've got your head around the competitive stuff in a way uh, that I've never been able to. Uh, I know you've played like um, – what is that online Pokemon – thing that you played oh yeah they have a program um they have since made a program called pokemon right. showdown that you can download on your computer and it, it basically just lets you make a team like put together a team just manually level it straight up to 100 at whatever the stats and moves you want so you can skip the grinding process and go straight into fighting other people have you ever played this pat no i haven't played it but i've seen a bunch of videos of people playing it and just trolling like it's just so many people with like i have a party that's got a like magic carp in it to get people with legendaries mad when i beat them it's it's just uh it's just showing off at this point oh yeah but it's funny have you seen any of those videos that this is – I'm going to date this video a little bit because it probably won't be all the rage uh, on streaming anymore by the time you hear it. Uh, but the the, uh, the Kaizo Ironmon challenge, have you guys heard about this? No. I know what those words are, <laughs> but I don't think I know about this video. <laughs> yeah, most people are like, did you did you say words just now? Um, y yeah. The um, So the idea is that there's – you know, because – people who who are really into these games just keep trying to find tougher ways to play them you know there's this challenge called like iron mon where the idea is that i think the original iron mon challenge is you just you catch six pokemon and that's it you can't ever change them out it's that's just always your team and also has like nuzlocke rules where they can die permanently um and then the kaizo iron mon challenge adds there's like a bunch of rules added to it but basically the idea is you get one it's a randomized game and you get one pokemon that you then have to try to get through the entire game with, and it has a randomized stats and a randomized rule, like move set um, and like ability and all that stuff. And so you just, if you, you pick the wrong one, you'll, you might not even get out of the lab. Like the, these streamers who play this just will go like 20 times in a row, not even getting past the first fight with like, you know, if they I think it's usually gen three that they, that they play it in, but that first fight with like Gary and they just, they just can't, 
can't get past it. And then every now and then they'll get one that goes on for a while. It's interesting. I, I, I don't think I have the patience to do anything like that, but it's uh, it's interesting to see where some of this. Yeah, that would be, that would be beyond any scope I've ever been. At. Right. I would assume someone from game freak would be like horrified to see people playing Pokemon that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, I always wonder what like Miyamoto would think seeing someone play like a Kaizo Mario hack or something. Well, in fairness, they, uh, they took Pokemon in a, in a younger audience friendly direction than the original plan. What do you mean by that? Um, there's two points of evidence for that, but, um, there's a manga called Pokemon adventures that is a lot darker. Like it's not, dark but it's definitely darker than the games the elite four are actually villains and they wipe out red who's the ash analog for the manga and try to wipe out a lot of the world population to make things better for the pokemon um and i know the creator has said that that skewed a little bit closer to his original thoughts on the pokemon universe as far as like the tone and you can see bits and pieces of that in the original red and blue um, one thing that no other Pokemon game had that's in red and blue are multiple different trainers with whips. Oh, oh yeah. Tamers. Because they were more in the style of like animal taming. In fact, the original model for red was much older and also had a whip. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, they did not go with that choice. But there was a point in development where that was the, the direction they were going. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can also just see why. <laughs> once it really caught on as like a fad with for kids they were like let's let's edge away from this a little bit yeah i mean it, it's it's better that the games went the way they did because that would be uh, there there are ethical arguments against the world of pokemon in general but at least because it's so kidsy they can downplay it by by showing how happy the animals are that would have been harder to do. Yeah, they spend a lot of energy on like Pokemon like this, and they love yeah. they live to bond for their trainers and and all this stuff. That's like, you know, it's it's a challenge, especially as we we've kind of like a, seen how the world of Pokemon has slowly become more real feeling as the games get more advanced. And I feel like they have to keep finding ways to explore that in a way that that helps this feel not like fucked up. Uh, and more like a, you know, the, the, the child-friendly adventure that we all remember. Um, well, I'd, any last thoughts from any of us uh, on, on Gen 4? Otherwise, I, I, think we can, I think we can move on from this. But uh, it's, again, it was just a, you know, I think really impactful in terms of its overall po point in Pokemon history. I think this, this, there's a reason why people remember these so well. It's because it was a new generation's kind of first game. And, and Rick, I think to your example, kind of a, um, like a return to the series. And, and Pat, was the, was this, was Heart Gold the first time that you kind of returned to Pokemon for a while? Yes, it was. Uh, I got Heart Gold. I'd never played Gen 2, really. And so I dove back in. And I think I found a DS in the uh, Apple uh, Returns. Or no, not Returns. The Apple Lost and Found box that was about to be thrown out. So I grabbed it and got uh, Heart Gold. And yeah, dove back in. Damn. Some kids, like, worst day of their life was your, <laughs> was, was your like, lucky five. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like months after it was in there. Basically, it sat in there for so long. And one night on shifts, somebody told me to throw out the lost and found. And I was like, there's a DS in here. And they were like, yeah, get rid of it. And I was like, sure, pocket. <laughs> like, yes. 
Um, cool. Uh, well, that's, yeah, Generation 4. Uh, we definitely didn't forget about any particular game elements uh, that will come back to haunt me later when I think back on this episode. Um, but uh, that's been <laughs> that's been the story of this podcast in general so far, where I always remember things I forgot. Um, let's dive into kind of just uh, what folks are playing right now. Rick, uh, do you have any particular other game, other non-Pokemon games that you are you're currently working on? Nothing new right now, but that's only because this year is dropping a lot of things that I'm interested in in about a month. Oh, really? So I'm trying to avoid getting too invested in something right now. I think first up is probably the second Octopath Traveler. I may dabble in the first one a little bit again just to get a feel for it again, but I'm that was a huge game for me, so I'm pretty excited about that one. Yeah, I logged a fair amount of time into that first one. You ever play Octopath Traveler, Pat? I did not. I played the demo and was like, yeah, I could I could see that I could get into this, but then I decided not to. It's fair. It's, I feel like a, it's always a crapshoot with an RPG to, to be like, am I going to invest 80 hours into this game or am I going to move on with my life to something else? Yeah, I, that's that's part of the reason why I've been holding off this game. At the, at the, we're at the point now where you kind of have to pick your battles with RPGs and I found out that we're getting remasters of the first two Suikoden games, which were PlayStation RPGs that I think are some of the best in the classic JRPG style. So I'm already setting aside time for that. They're And the spiritual successor to that called Ayudan Chronicles. I'm not actually sure when that comes out, but I know it's on the horizon. I think it was 2023, if I remember back when yeah. the Kickstarter was start- announced. That felt like so far in the future, and now it's the year we're in. Yeah, and yeah, and then we're also getting a remaster of the third in the Rune Factory series, which, if anybody was a big fan of Stardew Valley but wanted even more JRPG elements, that's one they should probably look at. Pat, I think you uh, logged some time into Stardew Valley over the years. Oh, God, yes, I love Stardew Valley. <laughs> and I know that Rune Factory is like probably my next addiction if i let it be so it's just a matter of planning accordingly to when that when you can let that i was gonna say yeah they they are great games but they are a time sink um if you do have an interest in them i actually do recommend looking at the third one because of the ones i've played that was probably the smallest time commitment so it might be a safe place before you fall into the the gaping chasm that is its sequels nice yeah i'll have to check it out uh what are you playing pat anything uh so let's see i for some reason dipped back into loop hero um i just like had a hankering for something that was a little bit mindless and put it back on and just continued grinding away and i i don't know at loop hero is a very fun game well fun is the wrong word loop hero is a very interesting game that i enjoy playing <laughs> Uh, and it just like, it's funny that you're just watching a little guy or, or a little person like fight monsters that you're putting in their way and somehow you're on their side. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting. And, um, other than that, I did a multiplayer night on Factorio with some friends the other night and I oh. had a blast. So I'm definitely going to be dipping further into Factorio to, to get a feel for that. Have you ever played Factorio, Rick or? Michael, no, no, I don't think I'm familiar with that. What kind of game is it? It's like it's it's like a strategy game, kind of. Basically, you are a little person who is crash landed on a planet, 
and you build like it's like survival research ma- resource management but really the point is that you start building automations to like mine the coal or the stone that you need to build things and then you make factories that can make the things that you're making and then you can make transportation that can carry things to the factories to make the things that goes to the other places so like you just get more and more complex automation you're trying to build a rocket to get off of your planet but um it's just like a very complex automation game. And then occasionally these bug monsters come and attack you because you're destroying their planet. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Cool. That's interesting. Is that cooperative? It, yeah. 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 The, there's like an almost unlimited multiplayer. Uh, so like, I think technically up to like a hundred and some people could be on a server at once or something like that. Um, and it is, but I mean, for us, it was just four friends dicking around and you can do it completely by yourself in a single player, but it is fun to play alongside other people. That's cool. I feel like I only ever think of those types of games as being very solitary uh, experiences. That's cool that there's like a multiplayer element to it. Yeah, that does sound interesting for like a game night where you want to be involved in something for a while. Yeah, and it's fun to like chat with people while you're doing it too. I definitely had a lot of fun being like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go chop down some trees," but then also like we can shoot the shit while I'm doing that. So it was pretty good. Nice. Um, I've just been really into. I, I mean, Pat, we just recorded with Noah, and you heard me talk about it then, I think. But and uh, I'm gonna say it again now. I've been playing um, uh, Metroid Prime Remastered, which just came out last week. It was shadow dropped uh, on the Nintendo Direct, and yeah. I having a blast that was a game i i don't i almost don't want to say too much about it because i feel like pat i we should do an episode on metroid prime i don't know if you ever played it i feel like i want to cover that series uh, in a future retrospective at some point um it also holds it kind of is in rarefied air of a first person game that doesn't make me too sick to play uh which is not many of them uh, but something about that game and the way it works really uh really works for me and my stupid brain and it lets me play it so uh, I've I've really been enjoying that, uh, Rick. I, I'm I'm excited for Octopath too. Also, I just I think I need to decide what RPG experience I want to delve into if I want to pull something from my backlog or or get something new. Um, but uh, I'll get to Octopath too eventually. I put too much time into that first one to to not play the sequel. Uh, but we'll, it'll just be a matter of when I can get to it. On top of anything else competing for my attention. But yeah. So anyway, that's uh, I think that kind of brings us to the end here. Uh, this was our uh, retrospective on uh, Pokemon Gen 4. Uh, we've mentioned kind of on, as like a programming note uh, that we will be going up until Gen 5. So either the next episode or one of the next episodes we record will be that. And then we will take a break from Pokemon. Uh, Pat, uh, you and I have discussed, had some thoughts of what we want to do for um we we may kind of mix up retrospectives a little bit and chop them up a little bit more so it's not just a string of one series of game. I feel like I started to get a little burned out on Pokemon after a while. Uh uh and so I uh I think it's it, it'll be good to to find ways to keep it fresh. Rick, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh I I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights and also you know, you and I could just talk about stuff like this for a long time without recording so we had we had to capture some of it at least yeah no it was a lot of fun thank you for having me on yeah, yeah this of course great. and um in the honor of our guests rick are you on social media at all you want to share your socials with anyone um i don't have a huge presence right now i'm on facebook and instagram but i don't really have like a gamer profile or anything at the moment that is potentially subject to change i am um, 
I do play a lot of fighting games, particularly like the Dragon Ball Fighters game that came out a few years ago. And they, I did a couple tournaments in that. So it's possible that I'll do more as I've been exploring a few more entries in that genre. But for the moment, no, just my standard. We'll get you back on for a fighting game at some point. I would love to pick your brain on, on some mechanics. Oh, yeah. Let me know. Uh, Pat, you want to share your socials uh, since you are more responsible than me and remember that we should share them at Patrick BC Malloy, uh, Instagram and the still burning Twitter, still burning and burning in a weird way where the more burned it gets, the more racist it becomes. Uh, But that's Twitter. I'm on Mastodon because I needed a Twitter replacement that I felt a little less bad about being on. Um, And uh, you can follow me at at Tro underscore Chelly. Uh, at toot.community because Mastodon is weird and has like these instances. If you finish the signup process for Mastodon, I feel like I keep saying this. Uh, you don't have to search by the weird instance names. You can just search for at tro underscore Shelly. Uh, but that's my full Mastodon handle. And I'm on Instagram and I never use it. But I'll keep mentioning it because maybe sometime I will actually update the account. But not today. On that nice. note... This has been Replay Values with Michael, Patrick, and Patrick. <laughs> sorry, sorry to give you that tee up. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Peace.